You're listening to a Cloud Evangelist radio show. For more great shows, subscribe via iTunes or our RSS feed from your smartphone, tablet, or PC. Hey guys, you're listening to another podcast, the Cloud Evangelist podcast channel brought to you by Red Hat. My name is Richard Morrell. Thank you for taking the time to tune in. On the back of RHEL 7 launch this week, and all the goodness that allows us to bring to the community and to the enterprise in the world of open hybrid cloud, I thought we'd concentrate on a specific topic this week. That topic is a passion of mine, and that's security. Sitting opposite me today is one of the world's top security, cybersecurity analysts. Very much in demand on the speaking circuit. You could have heard him speak at RSA or any one of a handful of security conferences globally. Author of two best-selling books, former Gartner analyst, uh, this is a guy who you would pay $10,000 a day just to hear him speak. So we're very privileged to have him on the microphone sitting opposite me today in London, Richard Steinen. Say hello. Thank you so much, Richard. It's great to be here. Great to be in London. So the last 16, 18 months have seen the release of a huge amount of information post-Snowden. The IT threat fabric is ever-extending. But now the attitude and also the risk appetite of CIOs when it comes to cloud is ever-present. Yeah, and it's really the security fabric feels like it's been torn, Um, not necessarily because the NSA broke security, though they obviously have attempted to do that in a few cases, but because they took advantage of an intelligence windfall, all this uh, information in the clear uh, available for their pickings. The CIO and CISO of course, have to you know take that into account. They thought they were working against people who wrote viruses and worms and uh, script kitties and maybe uh, state-sponsored industrial espionage. Uh, they had no idea that uh, friendly governments uh, were also capturing everything. And to take that into a- account, they have to build uh, a security practice that really isn't different from what we've been saying for 10 or 15 years. But now it's serious. Now you really have to protect your data. You have to encrypt it. You have to deploy um, all these capabilities in order to protect the keys because the attacker is going to go after those keys if you're encrypting your data. Um, So we're actually entering the golden age of IT security. I thought the golden age of IT security was 10 years ago. Couldn't it be more wrong? But it's also about asset protection. It's about auditing and logging. It's funny what's happening now, not what happened. Yeah, you know, I'm not uh, I'm not a big fan of, of either asset protection or uh, logging and auditing because what has driven the space, you know, from an industry analyst perspective, we see that the space can be relatively static. Everybody scrambles to get the latest technology, deploy it. Why should you change anything except for the fact that the threat space is changing? So we went from random uh, non-targeted attacks, targets of opportunity, to cyber criminals, to nation state espionage, and now the surveillance state. Um, So if you take a perspective of threat instead of risk, then you're not looking at, gosh, which assets do I have and what their value is, which is frankly impossible for most organizations to determine. Uh, but you look at the threats, then you're tracking, you know, who's attacking me, what do they want, how do I stop them? Uh-huh. And it's just a, the, the new reality is uh, you can't do uh, the complete reduction of your surface area that the risk management people talk about, um, but you can start identifying uh, when you're under attack and analyzing what the attackers are after, and then circle the wagons and block them as quickly as you can. 
But in the olden days, what we'd do is we'd go away and look at log files and you'd see Nigerian IP addresses and Chinese IP addresses because they were coming in the front door. This wasn't in the front door. This was another door that was backdoored into your platform or via some form of, you know, wire attack. Yeah, you don't have the opportunity to see the data being stolen if it's on the wire, if it's an undersea cable and they've tapped it with submarines. You'll never see that attack, so there's no way to detect it. You know, so you have to assume that any clear text data is uh, somehow being intercepted. So you're going to encrypt it. But then you've got this task of protecting the keys. But then every CISO and every CIO who's thinking about a large-scale deployment to cloud has to think, first and foremost, that security is one of the things that you know is going to derail that. But what we don't want to do is live in a regime where we're perennially scared to put anything outside the firewall. Right. Sensible best practice is is achievable. Yeah, absolutely. And and from my experience, you know, if if I'm an SMB myself uh, with a very small organization, I can much more easily protect my data, my website, my publications in the cloud than I can anywhere else because now there are solutions that are host-based, so per VM, that uh, can give me a firewall, IPS, file integrity management. Mm. I mean, I've got all of that on each instance, and it's manageable and controllable. And a bigger you know, deployment that a CSO is looking at, where the CIO is moving uh, major platforms to the cloud, they can secure them. And frankly, it's manageable, and it's, it's not as difficult as trying to deploy the physical yeah. you know, locks on your data center doors. Uh, or deploying, you know, the whole stack of security things that you need on the network. Uh, in the cloud, it's actually going to be easier, in my, my opinion. But then if you look at where a lot of cloud 1.0 was built using proprietary technologies, and this isn't, you know, proprietary versus open source, but I will turn the argument to say companies like Docker, where they're being able to put all that segregated jail to controls in a container rather than at a managed firewall instance. It's a lot easier to do. Yeah. You're, just, you're tearing down an image. You're not having to patch an image. When right. an image needs to be renewed, you just almost DD it like you would 1997 yeah. style. This is, And Docker isn't doing anything new. It's just doing it for the cloud. Right. Yeah, it's uh, this idea of ephemeral um, operating systems and applications. is uh, It's an innovation that's uh, making it easier to secure stuff. But then you also have to understand what you're putting in the cloud. And, you know, we're in sitting in London and Europe right now where there are nation-state governances, EU data privacy regulations. A lot of people are scared and alarmed about what they can put, where data has to reside, whether it has to be, you know, in the UK or whether it's within the boundaries of the European Union. There needs to be a lot more understanding from the CISOs, isn't there? Yeah, and some of the understanding from the regulators as well. Because if you think of it, it is completely insane to think that data is more secure sitting in the UK than it is in Amazon's data centers if it's encrypted. Yeah. Um, either way, it's completely secure other than from somebody who can crack your encryption keys without having them. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, these regional things um, are there because law enforcement is able to uh, sequester data from these vendors, and that is the, the concern from day one. Anybody's hosting data on equipment that's not theirs doesn't want uh, law enforcement to grab the data without being informed of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're always subject to uh, a subpoena or, uh, in the U.S., a national security letter, uh, but you want them to come to you so mm-hmm. you're aware of it. You can get your lawyers there to start defending yourself, and you don't want them going on fishing expeditions with your data, just as you don't want the cloud provider to do that. So a cloud provider eventually might be tempted to, hey, let's check all, all the data 
on all of our customers' uh, uh, servers and, you know, let's analyze it and do something with it or identify prospects or whatever they could do with it. Um, you have to protect your data from the cloud provider as well. So you have to be able to understand both your architectural security but also your contractual security as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The, um, and contracts are interesting nowadays because uh, many of us have NDAs, um, you know, and, and stronger uh, confidentiality agreements with um, our customers, clients overseas, and obviously they're now completely open <laughs> to, to having that confidentiality broken, right? So how can I, you know, so if I've got a client in Australia and I had to sign some very, very strict things and um, originally, you know, we were, the contracts were sent encrypted and all the rest, but after that there was a lot of clear text discussion going back and forth and I had to inform the client that hey, our NDA is has been breached completely, null and void. Yeah, null, null and void. The papers right now. Right. And I think also when I sit down with large organisations, and I sat down with one of the world's largest cloud providers a few weeks ago, and challenged them that the twenty-eight page security guidance they had in the contract might as well just have been one big sheet of letter of paper with no liability written across it in right. Sharpie. You yeah. know, it didn't mean anything at all. Yeah. And in the post Snowden world, and that's where we're at. There needs to be a more uh, integral, you know, picture of security for the CIO to work with his, de you know, DevOps guys and to make sure that their patching is intrinsic and they're right, they're working with the latest, greatest, you know, versions of Ruby and Python, etc. when they're developing their applications. But in the mobile space, you know, we've had uh, an example this week with OpenSSL where, you know, Apple will push it. A, a patch to all iOS devices, but with Android devices, it's up to the vendor or the the service provider to push that to their to their to their customers out there in the cloud. That's very difficult. Yeah, and the, with Android, you've got the option of of accepting it, though it's kind of hard to actually continue to deny it because it keeps bugging you. Um, but most people have had the issues of you know their phone crashing and losing all their data because of those updates. So they're trying desperately not to update. So security updates on mobile phones are going to be very problematic. I found that the only way to keep my Android mobile phone up to date is to keep buying a new Android mobile phone because well, there you, go. you know the only way you can do that. And if you if you still have a two year old Android mobile phone, it's time to update. Yeah, planned obsolescence. Yeah, and I think that's very good for Google and the service providers. They understand this. This is why they take this slow getting out out, out the gate. But if we're going to think about cloud security, what do you think the big gotchas are? Well, the biggest gotcha is uh, you can't trust your provider. Right, that's just you're just breaking a fundamental rule, right? They are holding your data, um, and they're claiming to be not liable for it. So you can't trust them, one, not to look at it if it's interesting, right? Yeah, if you're yeah. uh, financial services, uh, there's a lot of interesting data there. Um, but you can't, also, you can't trust them to back it up properly or make it available properly. So you have to hedge your bets, and it's a little bit like defense in depth, but it's in business continuity, but you have to spread uh, your resources uh, around the, the providers. Um, mm -hmm. And therefore, you have to have security solutions that work on multiple providers. It's very, very tempting to just host on AWS, uh, go to their marketplace, select a security solution, um, and you think you're good, but you know now you're de depending on AWS to be up all the time, and obviously it's had its issues. It's not up all the time. Um, so your backup recovery at least has to be somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So if they lose all your instances, you've got to be able to rebuild them and get back in business as quickly as possible. To me, that's the biggest gotcha. But also, if we start thinking about how we interact with vendors, you know, every journalist in cloud has been talking about lock-in for the last two years as being the major gotcha. It's not. Right, right, no. no Completely wrong. Yeah, because it's so easy to move around if you've architected 
correctly. You know, don't do not lock yourself in by using only a particular solution that can't work anywhere else, or uh, architecting just for AWS. Make sure that you can go to OpenStack. Make sure that um, you've got those extra options. So keep an open spread bet when thinking about how to engage with a cloud provider. Absolutely. Richard, it's been great having you on the podcast. Thank you for making time. My pleasure, Richard. This has been a Cloud Evangelist production for Red Hat. Building clouds today, the right way. For more information on Red Hat cloud technologies, visit redhat.com slash cloud. Thanks for listening.